You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. I heard more than just like the normal protesting, it was just like a lot of commotion. Later in the program, you will hear reporting from a demonstration where a red Toyota Corolla drove into a crowd of protesters. You will hear from Vox Booker, eyewitnesses, a medic, and several other demonstrators. WFHB correspondent Nicholas DeBrida has more in today's feature report. But first, your local headlines. Nine new cases of COVID-19 were reported in Monroe County yesterday. Statewide, the number was 455. That's according to the Indiana State Department of Health, which also attributed two new deaths in the state due to COVID-19. The new numbers bring Indiana's total number of COVID-19 deaths to 2,539. If you want to get a free COVID-19 test near Bloomington, there are two Optum testing sites available. One at the National Guard building on South Walnut Street. The other site is almost an hour away in Switz City. The Switz City site welcomes Bloomingtonians and has a much shorter wait time. Make sure to register beforehand, and don't forget your patient ID. The Richland Bean Blossom School Board discussed and approved their reopening school plan during their July 6th meeting. Superintendent Jerry Sanders said face-covering regulations changed in the new reopening plan. Uh, Students and employees will be expected to wear facial covering throughout the school day. Students may remove their facial coverings only under the following circumstances during uh, breakfast and lunch if students are social distanced as outlined in the IDOE health guidelines, during outdoor resource recess if social distanced as outlined in the IDOE health guidelines, uh, or during a maximum, maximum three to five minute break if uh, as outlined in the IDOE uh, health guidelines. Uh, Edgewood primary students uh, may remove their facial coverings when they are in their seats with their desk shields in place. And EECC uh, classroom procedures will be to wear facial coverings when unable to social distance. Sanders said students and staff can choose to keep their masks on when it is not required. He said health experts have shown a growing recommendation for face coverings. Community member Jordan Noonfelt said mandating masks in school is dangerous and unnecessary for students. Literally no one under the age of 59 in Monroe County has contracted COVID-19 and died from it. Monroe County has had zero data show that minors contract or transmit COVID-19. Yet masks of any kind, including the proven to not work cloth masks by the CDC, will be required in schools without option. So let's talk masks for just a second. OSHA has set a carbon dioxide limit of 1,100 parts per million for an environment to be deemed safe. At 2,000 parts per million, headaches, decreasing brain function, long-term damage begins. 
According to OSHA and their PPE experts, in determining what is law for a working environment tested with an OSHA-approved device at the source of inhalation, i.e. the mouth, studies using this method have shown it takes only 30 seconds with average breathing for a person to reach toxic levels of 8,000 parts per million underneath that mask in 30 seconds. Hence why OSHA requires a medical release form for people to even be able to wear an N95 mask, which again the CDC said is the only mask to actually protect against airborne particles for COVID. Noonfelt said masks should be optional. Band director Aaron Wells said band members will wear masks. Athletic director Mick Hammett said athletics will not travel for scrimmage or host youth camps. He said coaches will maintain cleanliness. I've let all of them have uh, antiseptic wipes, and they have the pump things for the kids. Uh, kids are supposed to come every day with clean clothes. If not, they're supposed to be sent home. We're having them answer the questions that uh, Mr. Wells mentioned. Those were the things of concern that was in the in-class document. And um, we set it up so each coach will have a spreadsheet so when the kid, uh, the, the athlete or his band member will go through and answer those questions and, and hit submit, it will go right to the spreadsheet, right to the, the coach. So they'll be able to tell. If they answer yes to any of the questions, it'll come up in red, so it will automatically, um, it'll be easy for the, the people to recognize that. And those students right now will be asked to stay home and, until, the, um, until they're better. Sanders said students can choose between in-person or virtual learning. He said the online academy students from grades kindergarten through fifth grade will have a designated virtual teacher and a support teacher. So if you're a grade level support teacher, then uh, you're um, agreeing to somebody coming in and, and recording the lesson that you're teaching to your students who are physically in your, the classroom. That support teacher doesn't have to worry about setting up the camera. They just, they just teach and then the virtual school teacher will have them recorded. And then the virtual school teacher will take the materials that that support teacher has put together for their own lessons um, and, uh, and the actual lesson and the recording, and they'll, they'll put, build that all into uh, a package that then will send out to the virtual student. And then the, the virtual teacher then will be the one who will uh, grade the assignments and grade the assessments and, and work with that student. Sanders said the online academy will follow the same schedule as in-person classes. He said grades 6 through 12 would use APEX for online learning. He said APEX is student-paced with assistance from a support teacher. Sanders said hand sanitizer will be supplied in every classroom. He said registration is a semester-long commitment. Sanders said registration will begin on July 10th. The FBI opened a hate crime investigation into the July 4th racist assault on Vox Booker. That's according to Booker's attorney, Catherine Lyle, who made the announcement on Tuesday afternoon in front of the Monroe County Courthouse. Lyle said the incident was clearly racially motivated. In a Facebook post on Monday, Lyle wrote that the case is also under active review, by the Monroe County Prosecutor's Office. 
which spoke with the Indiana Department of Natural Resources as part of its review. She wrote, quote, The prosecutor called in the DNR who will be forced to answer some tough questions. Lyle was apparently referring to officer conduct at the scene of the assault, which has become the subject of public scrutiny after audio, video, and eyewitness accounts indicate that the responding officers did not check to see if Booker required medical attention and did not arrest the alleged attackers despite the present video evidence and multiple eyewitness corroborations. Box called 911, and it took one to two hours for anybody to come out there and respond during this very explosive time. They were left alone and unprotected uh, by this group of, I don't even know what to call them, animals. Um, and uh, I have a perfect cage that they can go in. It's called the Monroe County Jail. The Bloomington Redevelopment Commission approved an addendum to an agreement with CSO Designs for the 4th Street Garage design. Assistant City Attorney Larry Allen said the garage footprint had to change to accommodate the space. As you know, with the 4th Street Garage in particular, it required a redesign to redesign it for the smaller footprint. Uh, this is essentially an addendum to their agreement for to cover the services for that smaller footprint to do all of the final design work for that for that particular uh, area for the new 4th Street Garage. Um, as you'll see, uh, this additional amount for the redesign was uh, $281,200, uh, which brought the total funding to just over $1 million for their design services uh, on the garage. City Controller Jeff Underwood said substantial bond funds would be available. However, he said they will be asking for funding agreement monies. Probably what we're going to come and do is on 4th Street is ask for an additional $500,000 in the funding agreement uh, so that we can accept all of the uh, alternates that was in the last uh, bid. However, we do have built into that an, a, a contingency of about that amount, uh, and we're going to also have some um, value engineering that they're reviewing. So that was one of the reasons why we wanted to bump that to the 20th is CSO is evaluating those. These were recommendations backed by the low bidders on some possible savings. So essentially what we would do is bump our contingency up by half a million. Uh, and then we would just keep track of that and let you all know if we use that. But the, the hope is based on the last reconciliation that uh, I did with uh, Josh with uh, uh, CORE is that uh, we may not need those additional funds between the contingency that we have built in and um, the value engineering. Board member Don Griffin asked Underwood if there would be any changes in the aesthetic to the building. Uh, the goal is to uh, add in all the alternates, which includes this, uh, the extra floor, which is a full floor on the garage. It includes uh, painting the uh, crash wall uh on the art uh, that would be on the sides facing the art because we think uh, from the artist's uh, recommendation is that it will make the art pop more so that we don't have this kind of plain gray background in behind uh, the mesh that they're gonna put up. Uh, it puts that second elevator in, which we think is extremely important. Uh, so everything that we, we did as alternates, uh, we, we believe uh, are needed and we believe they add to the garage and uh, We'd like to go ahead and fund them now because it's, we think it's going to be the lowest cost alternative as a part of that. 
Underwood said public bathrooms and all other amenities will still be in the design plan. In a press release on Monday, the Bloomington Police Department said it launched an investigation to determine the identity and location of the driver and passenger of a vehicle that drove into pedestrians at a demonstration on Monday. According to the press release, one pedestrian suffered abrasions to the arms. The other pedestrian was knocked unconscious by the vehicle, suffering a laceration to the head. They were later transported to the hospital by ambulance. The Bloomingtonian reports that the Bloomington Police Department ran the plates of the attacking car gleaned from the video of the hit and run, but that the associated address was not valid. The video of the attack, which is graphic, has prompted some to compare it to recent vehicle attacks on protesters around the U.S., like the infamous 2017 Charlottesville attack that killed one demonstrator and injured scores. Just this week on July 4th, a vehicle plowed into demonstrators in Seattle. A 24-year-old demonstrator later died of injuries sustained in the incident. The rise of vehicle attacks on protesters is causing some to call for using the term terrorist attack to describe them. The Bloomington Board of Public Works approved abatement of property 2611 East Roadhill Lane for yard overgrowth. Assistant City Attorney Chris Wheeler said the property has over 8 inches of weed and grass overgrowth. He said some overgrowth is harmful to public health. Property owner Mr. Goal said none of his plants are invasive. Citizens of Bloomington, including me, allowed to have non-mowed native lawns if they are not overgrown and do not contain weeds, grass, and other terms that are determined in city uh, code. Every plant that I have was very carefully screened. I, especially last nine months, I had visitors, two retired um, professors of botany that showed me that I have fantastic local non-invasive, non-hurtful to human health plants. Goal said the Bloomington Code allows native plants to be over eight inches. He said he would remove any unwanted plants. Board of Public Works Director Adam Wayson said the overgrowth has been an ongoing issue for over a decade. He said the city won court cases ruling the lawn to be out of city code compliance. Wheeler said grass and weed are overgrown throughout the lawn. He does have a lot of plants that are located in the property that are acceptable. And they look like weeds, but they're acceptable. Uh, Plantains and milkweed. Uh, things like that that certainly are allowed to be grown in excess of eight inches and aren't considered to be uh, the type of plant that gets overgrown and creates a public health situation. Those types of things would not cause uh, a violation. The problem becomes the fact that throughout the property, uh, and grass is just one example, uh, throughout the property there's grass, which is not harmful to anybody but the grass is allowed to grow up throughout all of the other acceptable plants at a height of greater than eight inches. And that becomes the problem. The intermingling of all of the plants together uh, makes it virtually impossible to maintain that effort to gain a natural habitat that also remains in compliance with our code. Goal said he does not want to see his native habitat foliage destroyed. 
He argued with Wayson about maintaining wildlife habitats. The plants in front of uh, Shower's building, I was amazed the same appearance as my flea bales. Good thinking. In a manicured way. In a manicured way, according to certified wildlife habitats. That's what we have offered you for years is to help you do that. And that's no, where your unwillingness has always led back. That's not true. In the that very beginning, when uh, Doris Sims was deputy and I bought membership in Wildlife uh, Habitat Organization and put the sign, she said, I don't care. That's it what... Was, it, it did not meet the, the spirit of the code, Mr. Goal, and that's why we're back here again today. So you contradict yourself. You tell me you advise me to be pro-environmental? <clears throat> no, Mr. Okay. Goal, I'm saying that your lawn is very much out of compliance this year as well as the years past. Board members unanimously approved the property abatement. The food truck Friday opening date was postponed for Bloomington, Indiana. The event was set to begin on July 10th at the new Switchyard Park with 10 different food truck vendors. Only a week after announcing the opening day, director Jordan Davis postponed the opening. He stated in a social media post, that the delay was due to a rise in COVID-19 cases in Monroe County. However, many food trucks can be found around the downtown Bloomington area. Davis said there is no confirmed date to begin Food Truck Friday. Last Wednesday, July 1st, the Bloomington Fire Department installed the city's first baby box at the Bloomington Fire Station located at 300 East 4th Street. For more on the story, we turn to WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner. Baby boxes provide a safe and anonymous way for mothers or providers to surrender their infant without giving out personal information or being seen. Infants must be no more than 30 days old. When a baby is placed in the box, a delayed silent alarm is triggered and will alert firefighters in the station. The alarm also alerts the Monroe County Central Dispatch to make sure the baby is picked up right away. The Safe Haven Baby Box is administered and protected under the Indiana Safe Haven Law, which, quote, enables a person to give up an unwanted infant anonymously without fear of arrest or prosecution, end quote. No information such as date, birth, or medical is required of the person leaving the baby unless there are signs of abuse. After babies are dropped off, they are given full medical treatment if needed and then taken into child protective services and placed with a caregiver. Safe Haven Baby Boxes Incorporated was founded by Monica Kelsey, who herself was abandoned as an infant. The goal of the organization is to educate others on the Safe Haven Law and save the lives of innocent babies from abandonment. This is also to protect mothers or parents from being seen and make it easier to let go of their child if they are in a difficult position of taking care of them. There is also a 24-hour hotline for women to receive counseling and assistance from Safe Haven. Since the start, Safe Haven has referred over 500 women to crisis pregnancy centers, assisted six adoption referrals, and has had 76 legal Safe Haven surrenders. Since the first box was installed in April of 2016, there have been no dead abandoned infants in the state of Indiana. Bloomington Fire Chief Jason Moore said that in the past, firefighters would have to personally receive a surrendered child from a parent, and that the process was never anonymous, also saying, quote, 
Every city of Bloomington Fire Station is already a safe place and a designated location where someone could use the Indiana Safe Haven Law to surrender a newborn, end quote. Since the baby box's installation, Moore stated, quote, to know that we may not have to go on another call when there's a dead infant is going to be really good for our morale and our mental health, end quote. This safe haven baby box will be the 32nd in the United States and the 28th in Indiana. Safe Haven has all locations listed on their website. Among the 28 in Indiana, there are also three in Ohio and one in Arkansas. The idea for placing a box in Bloomington specifically was introduced by co-owner of the funeral chapel, Eric Powell. In May of 2018, Powell was called in as a Monroe County coroner to an abandoned apartment in Bloomington where a 26-week-old baby was found dead. After hearing about the option of safe haven baby boxes, Powell and his wife, Leanna, made efforts to create one in Bloomington. The Powells contacted Monica Kelsey of Safe Haven, and Sherwood Oaks Christian Church helped by covering the service fee of $10,000. Two years later, the Powells are happy to announce that Bloomington has a place to safely take in infants if needed. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Kids website listed 15-year-old Bloomington resident Darius Buck as having gone missing. The teen is male and biracial and is known to use the last name Anderson as well as Buck. He was last seen on June 21st. If you have any information on Darius's whereabouts, call 1-800-THE-LOST. That's 1-800-843-5678. A woman driving a red Toyota Corolla drove into several demonstrators near the corner of Kirkwood Avenue and South Walnut Street. Peaceful demonstrators on the courthouse square were calling for the arrest of Vox Booker's attackers. Bloomington Police Department is now investigating the incident. WFHB correspondent Nicholas DeBrita filed this report. First at 11, breaking news, a peaceful protest against an Bloomington video Breaking news that's just happened within the last hour or so down in Bloomington as a car hits people at the end of the protest there tonight. The night of June 6th outside the Bloomington courthouse was a time of defiance where citizens in and outside of Bloomington came together to publicly criticize the racial injustice in the town in response to the attempted lynching of Vox Booker. As the protests began to disband, what seemed like a peaceful gathering to demand change immediately became a setting of chaos and disarray as a woman used her car to plow through protesters. Eric, a 21-year-old IU student, recounts the scene. We had just finished up and um, my girlfriend actually was driving my van, which was going this way, and she was trying to turn down Kirkwood to get out of the one way. And this car just like whipped around, and I was standing like right around here. And they, the red car missed the, the van. The van, okay. Yeah, and, and I noticed when it came around the, the corner that it uh, had a young um, person on the side and then somebody on the windshield and it came like ripping down Walnut, like you could hear the engine revving, and then um, slammed on its brakes, and then took this corner super hard, and then the girl that was on top of the windshield came flying off. The incident first occurred at the intersection of South Walnut and Kirkwood. Speeding and dragging the protesters for a block, the driver of the red Toyota swiftly turned down East 6th Street, where the woman who was struck by the vehicle was thrown. 
Local resident and 22-year-old IU student Claire Baker witnessed the scene from her apartment. Been, I had heard it started around like 4.30 or 5, because I live right here, and then I heard more than just like the normal protesting, it was just like a lot of commotion, and then I looked out as people were running down the street, because the car that ran through the crowd apparently drove down this way, so people were chasing after them, trying to get the license plate and to try and get the information about them. While the license plate number has been recorded, there is no word yet on if the woman driving the car has been arrested or identified. If you have any information regarding the incident, please contact the Bloomington Police Department. The protest on June 6 was a gathering to call out the racism in the Bloomington community. Box Booker, a survivor of the attempted lynching, reflected on how Bloomington needs to improve. I've talked to so many media agencies in the, in the last day, and the question that folks keep asking me is, how do I feel? Um, how do I feel while I'm being pinned down and beaten? How do I feel about racism in the country? Uh, and the answer is, I feel numb. Uh, I've been here for for years. I, I, I've organized with Jen and, and, and BLM. I, I've uh, I've spoken on panels with Ann Rita. Uh, for years, we have talked about systemic inequality in our community. Uh, in Bloomington, Monroe County, I chair the County Affordable Housing Commission. We have less than 1% black home ownership. Uh, if you want to talk about use of force with BPD, you're going to see a, a five to six times representation of black people. If you want to talk about education, you're going to see that there's almost no representation of minority children in AP classes. You're going to see that Bloomington has one of the worst black graduation rates. If you want to see the school to prison pipeline, you really don't have to look much further than Bloomington, Indiana. The difference is that there are so few of us, when we cry, they can drown it out. I'm sad that we have to keep doing this. I just feel like I was here a week ago. Uh, I didn't want to speak. I was tired then. Now I feel like I don't have a choice. Uh, Y'all, a, a group of white men dragged me to a tree and, 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 and Yo, get a noose, not even get a rope, get a noose. Uh, there was a moment where I was surrounded by white people who most I didn't know on every side. And I had to stop and ask myself when, when, these, when these white men were, were saying, hey, just leave him with us. You can go, uh, just leave him here. Were they really going to leave me? And it, it, it's shaking me to my core to to, to realize in that moment, I didn't know if they were going to leave me. And I feel determined to resist because we see what happened. Not only did Bloomington move, the entire nation moved. I wasn't sure if people would defend me at the moment, and the entire nation moved. <laughs> being bystanders, that we need to be active and confront systems of oppression. Uh, I'm here alive today because folks stop being bystanders.
in that moment when the five men were on top of me, and all I wanted to yell was I couldn't breathe, and I saw George Floyd's face in front of me, and all the ancestors that died having figured that they couldn't breathe, and I refused. And my community engaged, and they intervened, and they affirmed that Black Lives Matter. You Justice for Lock signs uh, have made me emotional. Uh, I don't want us to have to ask for justice for one more name. Enough is enough. Black Lives Matter. I love you. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by myself, Aaron Comforty, Katrine Bruner, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Nicholas DeBrita. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at wfhb.org. You too can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. Okay.